Good morning, everyone, and a big welcome to you to Forest Fold this morning, and a special welcome to you if you're listening on and watching online. Big welcome. Uh, before we start, I've got one notice uh, for you, and it's noticed from the trustees of the Stanley Dells Trust, um, which says, thank you for those of you who have already contributed to the India Appeal, where we plan to send the gifts in next week. If you're a taxpayer, then Gift Aid can boost your, uh, boost your gift by 25%. To do this, a form needs to be filled in, and there are copies in the foyer of the church, and uh, once that's been filled in, you can just drop it into one of the collection boxes. I just want to start with a few verses from uh, 1 John and chapter 3. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Those, ver- those words that uh, right at the start there, uh, what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. What a great blessing, and um, I-, I hope we all know that for ourselves. And we're going to start our worship with, uh, with a song, and it's the first time we've had it here at Forest Fold, but as we're not singing, that we don't need to run through it first time. And it's uh, Light of the World. Light of the world, you step down into darkness, open my eyes, let me see beauty that made this heart adore you, hope of a life spent with you. Let's stand and worship.
hopefully it won't be long before we can actually sing that in the church. So uh, something to look forward to. Um, before Tony gives us a children's talk, uh, let's come to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, here we are to worship and we bow down before you this morning, thankful Lord for all of your blessings to us, thankful that here we can meet again after another busy week, that Lord your house is open and we are here and able to worship so freely. And we thank you Lord for this opportunity, something that Lord we perhaps have taken for granted in the past, but we thank you for the difficulty of the last year and while Lord it hasn't been enjoyable many times there are things that we have a newfound appreciation for and uh, Lord coming to church and being able to worship together seems to be one of those and Lord as we come we pray that you will um, keep our minds from being too distracted help us Lord to focus on you and your word we pray Lord that you will speak to us that we will hear your voice for ourselves and that the things that we we read and sing about and and listen to might make a difference to our heart. We thank you that your word is alive. We thank you that it has that, that it is powerful and has the ability to change lives. And Lord, we uh, we realise as we as as time goes on that there are the, the riches contained in your word are they're, they're on so many levels, Lord. And and it's so great to think we can never tire of your word. We can never exhaust it. Because, Lord, it's so rich. And we pray that you will deepen our understandings and our, and, and our hunger for your word so that we might know more about your word and therefore know more about you as well. Lord, we thank you that your word doesn't condemn us, but that, Lord, it gives us hope. For, Lord, we do deserve to be condemned. Our sins are, uh, uh, need, need punishing. And, uh, but we thank you that we have hope through Jesus Christ that our sins have been nailed to the cross with him and that through his resurrection we have the hope of new and eternal life and Lord even after that sometimes we uh, even once we've put our trust in you Lord we, we realise that we can still struggle with sins and temptations but we thank you that it's no longer us but it's our flesh and that Lord we can live a new life with you we thank you, Lord, that your word is uh, written by people who understood the struggles. We thank you for the likes of Paul and Peter, who, who were real men and uh, knew the struggles that, that, that are still real for us today. And may, that, may your word then give us an encouragement to keep on, to press on towards you. So, Lord, keep our eyes um, heavenward. And, Lord, as we were reminded last week, uh, we, uh, we mustn't hold on to things too tightly and uh, something that we're prone to do. Uh, but may our hope be, all be found in Jesus Christ. And Lord, we thank you for uh, the week that's passed, that, all we've been, that we've all been enjoyed blessings of, um, of different kinds. We thank you, Lord, that the kids have been able to go to school and they've got good educated teachers to teach them. We thank you, Lord, for those who have perhaps been going getting vaccines. We thank you for the the wisdom and the knowledge that you've been given the scientists and the, the doctors who have developed that. Uh, Lord, we've been up to all sorts and we thank you that where we live, we are so, so blessed with so many things. Lord, we have jobs, we have, we have schools, we have hospitals, we have businesses, we have all sorts of things. Uh, things, Lord, that so, so many people in the world can't imagine having. Make us truly thankful, Lord. And, and while these are gifts from you, don't let them be a distraction to us truly serving and following after you. 
May we give our heart, our all, in our service to you. And Lord, as we come this morning then to hear your word again, we pray that you will help John to speak. We pray, Lord, that it might be a morning well spent and that, Lord, it will, it will um, feed us throughout this week. It might be food for our souls, things to think about. And we pray, Lord, that, if our, if, if, uh, that whatever your plan is with this word, that, Lord, your spirit will come and, and use it and change us to be more like you. So we come before you, Lord, knowing, very aware of who we are and who you are and the great difference between us. But we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ who makes up that great difference, who reconciles us to you so that we can be a friend of God and better still, a child of God. Lord, what a great blessing and uh, we praise you for it. We thank you, Lord, for um, all the things that have happened this week at the church. We particularly um, give thanks, Lord, for um, the return of first steps and, um, and the way that that seems to have been a success and people signing up again already. Lord, we thank you for that, for that work. We thank you for the team and, uh, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity. And we pray that it might be one that will, uh, will grow still. And as restrictions lift, Lord, we, uh, we hope that things will be able, um, things be able to be done indoors and on a bigger scale. And Lord, there's clearly a, a demand for it. And we pray that through this, uh, through this work, that people might come to know Jesus or come to have an, an interest in, 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 uh, in knowing you. Lord, we also thank you for, um, for, the, for the prayer meeting and, uh, and for all the, the works and the Bible studies that go on throughout the week, Lord. Um, some on a big scale and some on a very small scale. We thank you for it and we thank you most of all, Lord, that we have the freedom to do it without worrying that we have to look over our shoulder and be scared that someone's going to punish us for it. But we thank you, Lord, and while we have this time, may we make the most of it and, uh, and, and, and may our uh, souls and our lives be enriched by your word. So come, be with us now, Lord, we pray, and forgive all of our sins. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, Tony's got a children's talk for us. I hope you, Tony. Well, children, it's uh, good to see you all here tonight, today. Not tonight, it's the morning, isn't it? You give me a wave. I can see where you are. Great, great to see you all. Now, I've got a, a question for you. A, a thing I want you to do. It's all right. I'm not going to ask you to shout it out, but I want you to give yourself a score. Okay? And 10 is the best you could possibly be, and 1 is the worst you could possibly be. All right? I want you to think. How good are you? Do you think your score would be 10, 9, 8, 7, or would you be 1? You, you decide what score you should have. And do you know what? I think some of your mums might not give you the same score that you'd give yourselves. And it's good to be good, it's good to be kind, it's good to be helpful, isn't it? But there's one problem with being good... And that is that we can get a bit like this balloon. All blown up and proud of ourselves so that we spend our time thinking, I'm good, I'm better than him, I'm better than her. 
become really, really proud. Now, what matters about being good? Who decides what good really is? It's not you, is it? And it's not me. It's not even your mum and dad's or your teachers. The most important person to decide what good is, is God. I want to read from the Bible what Jesus said. And that might help us with our scores again. Find the right part. So Jesus had been asked this question. He says, what's the great command? Jesus said to this person, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. So God wants us to love him with all our heart, every part of our inside, our soul, and every part of our mind. And the next one is that God wants us to love our neighbour as ourselves. That means he wants us to love everyone else as much as we care about ourselves. Now I wonder, I wonder what does what Jesus said do to our our puffed-upness. Well, do you know what? Some people, they'll say, I'm right. I'm not too bothered about what Jesus had to say. I'm right. And the Bible described these people as being self-righteous. They stayed all puffed up and ignored what Jesus had to say. I think if we've heard what Jesus said, we know that, well, we don't care about other people as much as we care about ourselves. And often there's times when we don't think about God at all, let alone loving him with all of our heart. So we know that our (coughs) righteousness is broken and ruined and spoiled, and we're, we're sinners, we're, we're messed up, we're, we're useless. And do you know the good news? The good news is Jesus said, I haven't come for the righteous people, the ones who know they're so good, but I've come to come to broken, messed up people who haven't done what God wants to call them to repent. So it's good news that Jesus came to people who haven't made it, who haven't done what God wants them to. We're going to hear a bit more about that later. Thanks, Tony. Well, while our heart rate's come back down again, um, let's turn to our Bibles and we're going to uh, carry on reading from where we uh, left off last week, which was in Luke chapter 18. And just to remind, last week it was holding on too tight. And uh, we finished on verse 34, so we're going to start in verse 35. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, 
he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus asked him, What do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, he replied. Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. When all the people saw it, they also praised God. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Well, John will be preaching on that uh, shortly, but before he does, we're going to uh, stand and worship again um, with another hymn. And it's what love can remember. What love could remember, no wrongs we have done. Omniscient, all-knowing, he counts not their sum. Thrown into a sea without bottom or shore. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. Let's stand and worship.
repeating, eh? <laughs> Most of us are glad we don't have the stresses and strains of being upstairs operating the technology. Thank you for those who do. A trivia question. Guess the city. It's the lowest city on earth. <coughs> also called the city of palms sometimes its ancient walls fell miraculously in history a curse was to be on the man who rebuilt the city it housed a famous little man whose name began with Z I guess some of you guessed it before I started. Some of you hopefully there by the end. If we can have my uh, title uh, slide up, if we can get onto that. <coughs> It'll come up in due time. We're going down uh, this morning to Jericho and uh, the city of Jericho features in our next two events that we come to in the Gospel of Luke. You'll see from 18 and verse 35, as he drew near to Jericho. And 19 verse 1, he entered Jericho and was passing through. So we're at uh, Jericho, that is the city where these things take place. Here's a couple of snaps from our visit there um, a couple of years ago and you have there the tablets, a tablet showing that it is the lowest uh, place or lowest city on earth, a little bit patchy in the sunlight there. And there you have a tree which is not actually a palm, even though it's the city of palms, that is a sycamore tree and uh, children looks quite good for climbing, doesn't it? And adults sometimes climb these things too, as we shall find out as we go on. So we're in Jericho. I nearly called it Jericho Mercy, but that would have rather given away my trivia question at the start. So it is mercy to the lowest. Jesus is on his final bend, really, of his journey to Jerusalem, still about 20 miles away, 20 miles northeast 
of Jerusalem at Jericho. It is the lowest city on earth and it is a city where it was going to be a curse upon a person who rebuilt it after it fell in Joshua's time. It was Ahab who actually rebuilt it, took it upon himself to do that or to hire somebody to do it. So you have a low place, a sort of kind of cursed place, yet it becomes a venue for two wonderful demonstrations of mercy from Jesus. And in a way, isn't that typical mercy from Jesus in such a low place, such a a cursed place? Mercy to the lowest. And perhaps uh, you've been in some pretty low places. Maybe you're in a pretty low place this morning. I don't mean physically, but you're a low place in terms of where your life has got to. Uh, Your life feels in a mess. Your relationship with God is very low and very distant. You don't know him. You're not right with him. You've realised maybe this morning that things have got to a low point. Perhaps you will find encouragement this morning as we come to these two episodes, Mercy to the Lowest. As we look at these accounts, we see that the similarity is not just in the city, not just in the location. We're going to go through both of these accounts and then we're going to finish up with a wonderful statement of Jesus about the significance of these encounters and about why he came. In many ways, what we see here in these two accounts are are almost typifying what Jesus came to do. They are here at the end of his journey and they summarise so much of what he is about. You've heard of Tinker, Taylor, Soldier, Sailor, Rich Man, Poor Man, Beggar Man, Thief, maybe you know the rhyme. Well, the last four categories are contained in the two characters we're looking at this morning. Rich Man, Poor Man, Beggar Man, Thief. Let's look first at the poor beggar. So this is the chapter 18 part of our passage this morning. It's the first person that Jesus comes across and he is a man in need. He's a man in need and his need is pretty obvious. He is blind and with no advanced social care system he has to throw himself on the kindness of others. According to Matthew, It tells us he's not alone. There are two of them there. Mark gives us his name, Bartimaeus. He's picked a a good spot uh, for a beggar. It's on the main road with people passing. Feast time is just approaching, so that's a good place to be if you're begging. He has his coat down next to him. But unsurprisingly, he wished his situation was vastly different from what it is. You imagine, he can hear the people going past but he can't see them. He hopes some money will be put into his coat but he can't see it go in there. He very much hopes that nothing is taken out of his coat but he could barely stop it if it was. He's wanting to get enough to get some food to get through the day. He's stumbling around the city uh, needing to be led. Life's very difficult. This is a deprived Man, it is life with the lights out. He is in the dark, he is blind, he's in need. Well, thankfully, most of us don't have that physical disability. 
Uh, but there is a spiritual equivalent, spiritual blindness. It's interesting, it follows on from verse 34, where it says, but they understood none of these things, the same was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. It seems as though the disciples at least were partially blind. And this blindness of understanding is a, something that carries on through Luke at, at different points. We're blind when we don't know God. We're, we're blind when we don't know really who we are. We're blind when we haven't understood who Jesus is. We're blind when we have no safe, clear destiny. We're blind when Jesus means so little to us. We are people also in need. But this man also, you will see, is a man of determination. He hears the crowd going past and he hears a rather extraordinary commotion. He asks those around what it means. A Jesus of Nazareth is passing by, he is told. Uh, and he must know something about this figure from his reaction. And he sees it as an opportunity. In fact, he calls out, Son of David, have mercy on me. Interesting, they say Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He says, Son of David. This phrase, Son of David, is pretty significant. We haven't seen it in the Gospel of Luke since the Nativity uh, passages earlier in the Gospel. This man has insight He's referring to Jesus being the Messiah, the descendant from David promised who would be king, the anointed one, the saviour. Maybe he's not quite so blind after all. Uh, The people around don't value him. He's a bit of a nobody, this blind man. They, They tell him to pipe down a bit when he's called out. I feel a sense of know your place. He will not want anything to do with you, a beggar, a blind beggar like you. But this man is undeterred and he, he won't quit. So we read as we carry on in verse 39. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Have you ever prayed like this man? Could you pray like this man? Son of David, have mercy on me. Or Messiah Christ, Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. It's a bit like the prayer of the man in the temple, isn't it, who felt so low about himself. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Have you prayed like that? Could you pray like that? Do you keep praying like that? The need is so real and you don't let the person who can help miss out on your situation so you feel a, a heart sense of Son of David, Jesus, have mercy on me. He was determined and he receives mercy. I find verse forty. Wonderful, don't you? Verse 40, And Jesus stopped and commanded him 
to be brought to him. How encouraging is that? The crowd think he's not worth the effort. Jesus has a different view on the situation. And Jesus asks the man a question. That in itself gives him dignity. You know the phrase, does he take sugar? No, this man is asking the person direct, getting a response from this person with a disability. And his question also gives him the opportunity to express uh, what he wants. So Jesus asks him the question, what do you want me to do for you? Well, man's answer, it shows his need, but it also shows what he thinks of Jesus. So he doesn't say, a coin please, sir. Could it be double money today? A loaf of bread to to see me through till night time. Now he knows that Jesus can deal with bigger things, with root things. So he says, Lord, let me recover my sight. Let me see. Do you remember, um, back earlier in Luke, we had some verses, key verses from Isaiah, quoted by Jesus himself in the synagogue at Nazareth. They proved quite provocative verses, verses about what he was about. Let me read to you, Luke 4, verse 18, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. That's what the Messiah will do. That's what this man thinks. That's what this man needs. He asks for mercy along those lines. And this Jesus will do. He shows mercy, this low man, in this low place. See verses 42 to 43. And Jesus said to him, Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight. In 2015, uh, Mark Cornell, who was uh, an ex-US uh, uh, Air Forceman, saw for the first time for 20 years. He had some new advanced technology, these special sort of glasses linked to some form of computer system. And uh, online you can see those moments when he first puts them on and sees after not seeing anything for two decades. Well, I watched it yesterday. Uh, Two things struck me. First, one of the things he said, kept saying, and it was basically pretty simple, it was, wow, wow, wow. As he saw, after not seeing for so long, as he saw the faces of those who hadn't seen for so long, as he saw how they'd changed, as he saw young relatives, perhaps, who he'd never seen before, wow. And the other thing, Despite a military man, he's choked with tears at the emotion, the relief, the joy of being able to see again. This man is made to see again. Wow, wow, wow. Perhaps there were tears of joy 
there was joy. The amazing power and mercy of Jesus. And Jesus can make the spiritually blind see. And when that happens, there is a sense of, wow, now I know, now I see. Things are important which I didn't clock before. Wow. And there is a sense of joy and a sense of relief. The hymn expresses it well. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. And there is then response. Um, There was a a double change in this man's life, and I don't just mean that he had two eyes that were repaired and healed. There is another change as well as sight, and we see that in verse 43. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him. And followed him. He started following. What What a better thing to do. What better thing to do with your new sight? He loved Jesus. He trusted Jesus. He wanted to follow Jesus. There was a new direction in his life, a new focus in his life. His life was now about something different. With his new sight, he followed Jesus. I I don't think we learn that he had any speech problem, but he has something new to do with his tongue as well. It says, he followed him glorifying God. And no wonder what's happened to him. What mercy has been shown to this low-placed chap in a low position with such great need. He's received mercy. And it's not just him that's glorifying God. Verse 43 carries on, and all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. If Jesus has, does open our eyes, there's great reason to praise God. Perhaps you've known that. By the end of the Gospel of Luke, finally they understand more fully after the resurrection and the book ends and they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. So there's a pattern, isn't there? As we go through the account of this poor beggar and the mercy he receives in his low position. We move on to the second account. And I think in some ways we might identify even more with the second account. Here we have the rich TC or the rich tax collector. Some things are are different about this account but I think we'll find as well that some things are similar. This man was a man in need. So different, totally different end of the the spectrum of wealth from the, the blind beggar to the tax collector. This man had a a life which was comfortable, which had connections, which was luxurious, which was in many ways easy. His daily occupation was so different from the blind beggar. And yet he is a man in great need. 
so that Jesus, later in this account, calls him a lost man. A, a lost man. A man who doesn't know where he's going. A man away from God. A man in danger. Rich people in those days were often seen as favoured and as admirable. Admirable. Uh, we saw that last week, but the tax collectors were a definite exception to this. They were despised as sort of morally bankrupt people. They were hated. They were the, the lowest of the low. They identified themselves with the Romans, encouraging the occupation, working on their behalf, which wasn't very popular. Uh, but more than that, they feathered their own nest at the expense of others, you know how it worked, they had to collect taxes and they would up the amount they collected so that they could pocket some of it themselves. They were cheats. They became rich at the expense of others. And this man was rich and we know why. Because he's taken more money than he should have received. He was a chief tax collector so he had extra opportunity to cream it in. So his standard of living was going up and up and the ordinary common people, if you like, the traders, the people that came through, their standard of living was lower than it should have been because Zacchaeus was creaming his portion. He was lost. But Jesus' words later show that it wasn't just Zacchaeus' problem, that being lost is a widespread problem Another verse in Isaiah 53 says this, all, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And some of us come to realise that. We may have been religious, but religious people can be lost. Lost in selfishness. A life of me, me, me. Uh, don't you find selfishness uh, a problem? It came to mind this morning, it took me back to when I was uh, at a university, I was doing a very interesting course on business and society in contemporary Japan and one of the seminars the, the lecturer was posing the question, he was, he was showing how different Japan was. Japan had been sort of locked on its own for for centuries and his culture was very different and he was proving that point. So he says, uh, yeah, say anything about what countries are often like and, uh, and I'll tell you whether it's the same in Japan. He was hoping to sort of just say that Japan was so different. So I, I was in the group, it's only a small group, I don't pipe up in massive groups, but I said, selfishness. And he said, well, I'll have to buy that one. Yeah, there's selfishness in Japan. It's common, you see. However separate Japan had been from the rest of the world, common, selfishness. And maybe you look at your life and you know the selfishness and maybe you have to say that not only is there selfishness but it's been the dominant, really the dominant aspect of your life, the big phases of your life, perhaps it still is. Me, 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 life is about me, me, me. I show some courtesies, I show some politeness but it's really at root all about me. Lost like Zacchaeus, he was in need. We are in need. But you have this, and maybe this is a surprise, there's determination, isn't there, in Zacchaeus? 
You might not expect Zacchaeus to be a, a man who showed any interest in Jesus, but Jesus is coming through Jericho and Zacchaeus wants a, a slice of the action. Zacchaeus wants to see Jesus. Now you know he's got a natural disadvantage. He's not a very high guy, so he can't see over the crowd. And I imagine the crowd aren't terribly keen in making space for Zacchaeus. We don't do that for greedy people. You know, if you're going along in a motorway queue and somebody sort of comes over in a lane they shouldn't or comes down the hard shoulder and wants to nip in front, you don't feel that accommodating, do you? The bumpers go closer. You think, I'm not letting that greedy, selfish person get ahead. Well, I can imagine as well the crowds around Jericho keeping Zacchaeus back behind because they know the sort of person he is. Well, it would be easy to head home. Can't get through. Doesn't matter that much. Going to give up. Off I go. But he's not put off. And you know he uses this tree climbing exploit to overcome the problems. He, the adult, runs and climbs a sycamore tree so that he can see Jesus. He is determined. It is amazing, I think it's amazing, how God puts an eagerness, sometimes in unexpected people and unexpected places. Maybe you've experienced that recently. You're actually quite interested in Jesus. You're wanting to know. It wasn't there before, but now you're starting to seek, as we say, pursue, find out. It took me back to when I was uh, a teenager and I had uh, a thirst for reading the Bible. You know, I wasn't being told by family or friends, you've got to read the Bible. I hadn't been all that interested in the Bible for most of my life but I had a thirst and I was reading it on my own. I wanted to read more. I was going through different books of the Bible. Well, maybe you're interested, but you have setbacks. But the interest continues, does it? Okay, I mean, the crowd, are, the crowd are stopping you, discouraging you. Others, friends, family are discouraging you. Ah, oh, but like Zacchaeus, you don't, hopefully you don't give up. There's blockages in the way, stopping your interest from being satisfied, but you find other ways around because you're so eager. I would encourage you to do that. Uh, keep reading, keep listening, keep watching, keep asking, keep seeking. Be determined in your... In- Don't quit in your determination to find out about Jesus. Well, this man, Zacchaeus, too experiences mercy and it comes in two ways I think it comes in what Jesus gives what does Jesus give? well he he gives attention that's one of the things he gives he gives attention Jesus stops and Jesus looks up So there are all these people in the crowd and some of them probably think they're important people, some of them are are balloon type people, very full of themselves and and Jesus looks up and he sees the man in the tree and he knows his name and he calls him by name. 
Verse 5, And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Wow, the crowd aren't very pleased. There's grumbling and there's muttering. Don't they know who this guy is? Don't they know what he's been up to? Don't they know he's a cheating little swindler, sponging off ordinary folk like us, and yet giving him attention, going to his place, going to his house, associating with him, spending time with him. This is outrageous. Jesus gives this lost, greedy little man attention. And second, it's so not just in what Jesus gives, but what he says. What does he say when we get to verse 9 to this man and of this man? A golden word, really. Today salvation has come to this house. He's saved. This man is saved. This man is forgiven. This man is part of the kingdom. This man is heading for heaven. What, Zacchaeus? Yeah, Zacchaeus, this greedy little selfish man, is saved. Jesus had said how hard it is for a rich man to be heading for heaven. Yeah, here's one who is. The impossible has been done. The camel has gone through the eye of a needle. Zacchaeus is saved. And don't you find that encouraging? Maybe your life has been a pretty selfish life. Maybe as you look back, almost your pathway is strewn with people damaged by the way you've put yourself first. Use them been unkind to them for your own benefit. Maybe you're coming to your senses a little bit with the attitude that you have shown, but you don't really envisage any hope for you. And then you see Zacchaeus saved. Zacchaeus saved. And he's called now a son of Abraham, for this man is a son of Abraham. Well, He already was a son of Abraham. Zacchaeus is a Jewish name. So Jesus isn't saying, well, he's a Jew. It was clear he was already a Jew. The son of Abraham, he is part of the family of God. I think he's saying he's part of the New Covenant people, New Testament people. He is part of God's family. Zacchaeus. Isn't that great? Is that what Jesus has done for you? what Jesus could do for you? To place your trust in him and turn to him? Well, will Zacchaeus um, continue in his greedy, uh, cheating, uh, selfish ways? Well, you can guess what's next. Partly because it flicked up when it shouldn't, but partly because you're seeing what's happening here. Response. Response. Well, he, he responds in that he joyfully receives Jesus. He wants Jesus around. He wants Jesus in his life. But he also has a, a statement to make. He, he stands, and if you like, he makes a stand. We have it in verse 8. Let's hear what he says. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, 
Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded or cheated anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. He was no longer holding on tight to his money like the rich young ruler. He's still a little man, but he's now a big-hearted little man. He would have been well supplied with a, a luxurious home in uptown Jericho, the more expensive residential areas, I imagine. But half his wardrobe is now taken down, perhaps, to the downtown homeless mission. Some of his money bags get taken to the temple collection or the synagogue collection. Maybe sacks of wheat are being dispatched from Zacchaeus' house and taken to struggling families in the district. Bartimaeus' colleagues who are still there on the roadside are finding extra coins thrown in their cloaks today, courtesy of this man Zacchaeus. And those who he's cheated, he restores to them. The Old Testament requirement was restoration plus 20%. But this man in his big-heartedness, because of the change that Jesus has made, instead of just giving 20%, restores fourfold, four times as much. So you envisage um, people coming to, to Jericho and the tax system wasn't so much a personal taxation, it was more taxing goods that go through the, the city. Um, so they're coming with their goods, they're travelling through the city and maybe they're thinking, I really hope I don't see this Zacchaeus fellow. Last time I came through, he, he really sort of screwed out of me a lot more money than I should have paid and if I see him again, I'm going to lose out a lot. Oh no, Zacchaeus is on duty. Zacchaeus says, you come here, come here. Man comes over thinking that he's going to be really out of pocket, and instead Zacchaeus says, Your money back, four times as much. You gave me five quid, here's 20 quid. And he goes rather dazed out of the other side of Jericho en route with his goods. There were some shocking things, there were some big surprises happening in Jericho at that time. And when we experience Jesus' mercy, it does lead to change. There becomes a big-heartedness. We don't become perfect, but if you like, the compass of our hearts, which up till now has been pointing to the direction of, I was going to say self, well that's not, self, self, it's been not self, self, self with an F. It's been pointing to ourselves and then we find there is a change. It's not perfect, sadly, we swing back. But to, to God and to others, there's a change in the direction of our hearts and it works out in our life, in our in our money. I was, um, we were having a, a meal with a good Indian friend a few years ago um, and he was a, a Hindu and, and he was quite interested in Christianity and we had a very nice meal with them and uh, he'd had a, a close friend who'd been converted uh, to Christianity. Anyway, after the meal we, we sat down and he said to me, he said, tell me about a part of the Bible how often do you get a, a non-Christian after a meal just saying, tell me about part of the Bible? Well, that's what he did. Well, I, I didn't know, I was 
think of my feet a bit, probably prayed for help, but anyway, Zacchaeus came to mind, so I just explained to him what we've been looked at this morning, Zacchaeus. And as he listened at the end, he said, uh, just, just like Patima, just like Patima. Patima was his friend who had been converted to Christianity. Her life had totally changed. And as he heard about Zacchaeus, just like Patima. So when God, through Christ, shows mercy in life, there is a change. There is a change. Has God's mercy led to a change and response in your life? Has there been repentance, turning around, change of focus, change of values? Response. Well, finally, just to finish off, we come to the last verse. And this is a momentous verse. Uh, This is a verse which culminates where we've got to so far. Some people will see this as the key verse in Luke. So here here is the Gospel of Luke. Summarise it in one verse. Luke 19 and verse 10. In some ways it is a mission statement from Jesus. This is what I came to do. Verse 10. For the Son of Man, that's Jesus, came to seek and to save the lost. It's ironic and it's wonderful. It's ironic in this. We've been thinking these people are seeking Jesus and in a way they have and they've been quite determined in that seeking. But here we find that the bigger thing that's been happening is that Jesus has been seeking them. He came to seek and to save those who were lost. And many of us would say the same. I started seeking God, but I've looked back and realised that actually in, in, in it all, God, in his initiative, was seeking me. Jesus came to seek and to save those who are lost. Is so like another Hindu I heard about this week who was at Bible college and uh, earlier in his life he became interested and started to read the Bible and as he looked back he said, I started to read the Bible but I found the Bible was reading me. I started to read the Bible but I found the Bible was reading me. It's a bit like that irony. Seeking God but I found God was seeking me. It's ironic but it's wonderful because this is what Jesus came to do. I came to seek and to save those that were lost. Jesus is in the business of seeking the lost, the low, the discarded, the messed up, the sinners, the selfish, the blind, the cheats and Jesus seeks rescues, saves and changes. So maybe you come to this morning feeling low because of your life, because of your conduct, because of the mess, because of what you've done. Don't you feel heartened at the sort of saviour you've heard about this morning in these two events? of Jericho mercy. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we confess that our lives have been selfish, that we've been lost, that we've been blind to great truths and to Jesus and even to ourselves and what we've been like. We thank you for these um, cowering episodes of mercy that we have seen this morning for the healing of this blind beggar, for the saving of this rich cheat. We thank you that Jesus came to rescue the blind and the selfish, the lost, to turn them round, to change them, to show them mercy, to include them in his family. And for so many of us that, that change has happened and we we want to say, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. And for others, oh Lord, we hope that there's an interest, a seeking, a determination. Maybe that that, that will be accelerated this morning. And we do pray that others, as a result of this morning, and look at these passages will come to know the changing, transforming mercy of Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen.